welcome back to another episode of a double shot connection thanks for tuning in if you haven't followed us on instagram please go and follow us there at double shot connect and we have still got time remaining on the competition we so do please enter that one what you have to do there is tag three friends and like the page and follow us and yeah we're back at it this week we've decided we did really well in the first week having young Nathan Sloan on the podcast so we've upgraded would you say? I I would say a significant upgrade for sure (laughs) and I'm sure he's a lot cleaner than Nathan. Uh, We've got a very exciting exciting guest he is class of 2010 Ross Moyne Senior High School second best looking guy in the year. Oh, first best being me? No, first best being Rick Wallace. I think you're about eighth down on the list. <laughs> and I think with uh, yeah, a lot of pleasure from Nath Varm here today, do you want to introduce our next guest? Yeah, and look, I think I can speak on behalf of us. We've been absolutely excited to have this guest on. His name is Joshua Cable. Firstly, he's the designer of our logo. So if you wondered where we've got it from, Josh is the man. And he is a videographer, a cinematographer, a multi-award winning individual. And let me just name a few. So his first documentary or short documentary in 2015, 72, uh, global winner of the 2015 Sony Professional Film Competition. 2017, his short documentary, Lenny the Lion. Next Gen Film Festival, Best Doco and People's Choice Award. And most recently, 2019, Collingwood from the Inside Out. Melbourne International Film Festival, winner of the Sport Australia Media Award. Did I get them all right, Josh? Yeah, and bloody hell, you've really set me up to fail here because that I don't know if I can live up to the hype of that introduction. So, mate, that, I we've appreciate got you it. On. <laughs> yeah, Thank we've you. got you on. So, we definitely think you could exceed those expectations. So, mate, you're the second ever guest on Double Shot Connection. How does it feel? Yeah, it does feel good. It's a, it's a real privilege. Um, as you know, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I've listened to every single episode so far. And uh, I did listen to the previous guest. I actually thought he was pretty good, Nathan Sloan. So um, good, good job to him. And I'm, I'm actually feeling a bit nervous that hopefully I can sort of live up to this hype that you've, <laughs> that you've now put on me. <laughs> oh, mate, as I said, I'm sure you will. And, and thanks for making the time to come on. I know there's a bit of a time difference between Perth and Melbourne, but we've made mm. it work. So thanks for coming on. And Mate, as you said, you've listened to all the podcasts. So firstly, thank you for doing that. No, no so you would have noticed our very first question that we asked Nathan Sloan was, what is your double shot connect moment? And just for anyone who didn't listen to that episode to give them a bit of context, double shot connect moment basically means what is a life changing moment for you? So with that said, Josh, what is your double shot connect moment? Yeah, luckily I've had a bit of a um, time to think about this. I think Sloaney was put on the spot a bit when he got asked about it, but luckily, Nate, you gave me a, a bit of a heads up. So I've, I've been thinking about this one, and I don't know if I've got an exact moment in time, but in terms of a, a life-changing moment, I sort of have was thinking 
a few years ago um, when I actually made the move from Perth to Melbourne. So that was this yep. was at the start of 2016, and I'd moved over to Melbourne to start a new job um, at the Collingwood Footy Club, shooting and editing video for them. And um, I think it wasn't it wasn't sort of like a snap sort of moment, but ever since that point and definitely early on, it sort of changed a lot of my perspective on things, especially around my appreciation for what I had back in Perth and how I sort of almost took that for granted a bit, you know, being in Perth, having my family there, all my close friends. And then all of a sudden um, I made this move over to Melbourne and I was, you know, I had this cool job, but I had was all of a sudden, you know, then that was my first time moving out of home as well. And then I was just like all by myself, although, you know, my my now wife was with me and luckily she was, otherwise I would have been in a lot more trouble than, than I was, but um, she, she helped me a lot. But yeah, it just really sort of put things, making that move really put things in perspective for me in terms of making me have a greater appreciation for what is important in my life, I guess, in, the, in terms of, you know, that family and friends aspect of things. I now feel like having lived in Melbourne for, I think, four, four years now, I now feel like I just have like a much greater appreciation for that. Yeah, mate, that's awesome. And I can still remember before you even got the gig, I don't know if you remember, but we were sitting at Low Key Cafe in Riverton and we're having a coffee. And I remember you told me the news. I was like, wow, like how how much of an amazing opportunity is this going to be? Like, I mean, I'm sure you knew it at the time, but I I, I felt it for you. I was like, this is going to be life-changing for him. He's He has to move to a a new destination, you know, as you said, luckily for you, it was your, your wife was, or your then partner, but now wife was with you. So that helped things go more seamlessly. But I mean, and then looking on it now, like how much you've achieved in that, in that lifetime, mate, you, you've done so well. And I can definitely imagine. And, and, you know, funnily enough, people probably, you probably think I was following you, mate. Do you remember I actually was in Melbourne only, what was it? couple of weeks later, I, what was I there for? I can't remember, but I remember I saw your first house, like just sort of, and you yeah, were just sort yeah, of. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about it. Yeah, you were just sort of moving in and sort of saw your new house. So I guess sort of tell us how you felt going in there with just your partner at the time and going into a new environment. How, how did you feel going into the unknown? Yeah, well, it all kind of happened so quickly that I didn't really have time to stop and sort of think about how big of a thing it actually was you know like I I'd always sort of thought that I'd like to go over east in terms of the work that I like to do or that I was interested in doing there was always going to be more opportunities over in the eastern states for me than in Perth unfortunately so I was always sort of open to that idea and then the job opportunity came up I applied for it was going through this application process and then like when I got it, they were like, you know, how quickly can you get over here sort of thing. So it was like really quick, sort of got the job, started immediately planning this trip over to Melbourne, flew over to Melbourne without having like a rental property or anything actually in place yet. So I was, we were just in an Airbnb and luckily um, my partner Bron was a lifesaver in like 
organizing everything in terms of getting me actually able to be like living over in Melbourne whilst I just went straight into this new job. Um, and I actually, I think it was like, the f- I actually remember the first night of being in Melbourne is when it really like hit home what I'm doing. Because like all the way up to then, you know, you're always sort of looking to like, oh yeah, I'm going over here, starting this new job. And whilst you're still, whilst I was still over in Perth, like you're still in that comfort zone of yep. being in Perth. And then like the first night of being in Melbourne is like when it hit me because then I was actually over there away from everyone and I was like, holy shit, like <laughs> now I'm here by myself. Like you sort of start to question, have I done the right thing? Like is this, you know, is this, is this the right move and all that sort of stuff. So it wasn't really until then where I was sort of able to actually process that properly. I know Nath asked you it was your groomsman at your wedding and it's one of his proudest moments and he speaks of it very fondly. <laughs> was I a good groomsman? <laughs> yeah, you were. And he, and I, know, I know that in that <laughs> one of the previous episodes of this podcast, you did mention your role in organising the haircuts, I think. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> How did he go in that? Yeah, he did. What, like, Obviously, you're looking to delegate your groomsmen to different roles and you look at what Nate would be good at in a specialist role and it's organizing haircuts i just knew he was going to nail that so uh, well <laughs> well done mate you delegated very well you've spoken very highly of your partner um throughout the more well, throughout the podcast uh, and you've spoken about how she's helped you settled in i guess a question there is how, do, how does it feel being married mm, interesting interesting question um I, I, I don't know if it, if it was. Um, I don't know if it feels too different because we've sort of um, we'd lived together for about three years before getting married, and we'd been together for a few years even before that. So um, you know, in terms of <laughs> when we from before we got married, and then we got married, and then we came back, and we were still living in the same place with our same sort of routine, sort of thing. So not a lot changed in that scheme of things, but it's definitely was good in terms of sort of solidifying the partnership, I guess, and, you know, making things official and making that commitment, that lifelong commitment was the, was the coolest thing about it, I think. So whilst not a lot changes sort of um, in the day-to-day happenings, it is, it is good that in the, the back of your mind that you've, you've got this relationship sewn up <laughs> hopefully <laughs> you know. do, you, do you recommend that we um sign up to it yeah yeah absolutely absolutely you, you find Is it something right... that we should do in our lives <laughs> yeah i think you know it's all about oh, i don't want to sound like a person who's giving relationship advice but oh, oh you're talking yeah well but nabams need something <laughs> keep going <laughs> no but it's i think it's you know once you find the right person and you get to a certain point in your life i think a lo- i think some people um probably put it off for a bit too long for i'm not sure what reason um, and there is that, like, uh, <laughs> Marv, for those listening, Marvin's just pointed at, at Nathan as someone who <laughs> would be putting off these sort of things. So, um, but yeah, I think it's something that I, I probably don't get the, the commitment phobe sort of thinking sometimes. I think, I, I know it's, it is a big deal to, to make that leap, but 
you know, you know once you've found that person, I think. And I think you definitely shouldn't be afraid of sort of making that decision sort of together as a couple and going for it. Oh, mate, definitely agree there. And for all the young roosters out there needing solid relationship advice, I, I suggest you <laughs> tune into this section of the podcast for sure. So just to give a bit of context to everyone, Josh, I've, I've known you since year four. Mm. I've seen your relationship flourish. I've attended your wedding. I've also had the privilege of seeing your career flourish as well. So why not start from the very start? Uh, the first award-winning documentary, 2015, uh, it was called 72. Uh, it, it goes for about two minutes and it sort of documents uh, your granddad's work ethic in the AFL and some of the key themes I got about it, out of it was, you know, self-belief, having that strong work ethic, you know, your attitudes and there's no limits. And that's something that I really resonated with because, you know, I'm not the most athletically gifted person, but sometimes if you have that work ethic and that hard work, it can still take you somewhere. So what inspired you to create that documentary? Because as I said, it has a really powerful message. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because at that time I was actually, so I sort of, to go back a bit beforehand, out of high school I studied um, screen art and journalism, which is like film and TV and journalism because I was always really passionate about wanting to make films pretty much, which a lot of people are sort of coming out of school and they want to give it a crack, which is great. Um, the thing is, I was probably a bit lazy in that course and sort of thought that, you know, by just doing this university course, this will be enough to sort of get me through and sort of just went through it, made a lot of, oh, like I considered myself with all the projects that I worked on throughout that pretty ordinary. Like I was, I actually struggled a lot. Um, to sort of live up to the standards that I wanted to produce. Um, so it was pretty hard coming out the end of that degree sort of, and I just knew coming to the end of it that there was no work for me to go into straight out, out of this. You know, people in that industry are looking for, if you want to work in film and TV, the people that are hiring hiring you want to know that you've worked in film and TV. They don't want a piece of paper that shows that you've studied a degree or whatever. So, and I, I didn't put in that work whilst I was doing my degree in terms of getting the practical experience. So I really finished my course without the practical experience I needed. Um, so decided that I was going to do a, a dip, a dip ed. So, which I don't know if you can actually do now. I think you have to do the masters of teaching, but teaching was something that I always sort of had in the back of my mind that I would be interested in doing. So signed up to that course and did a one year high school teaching course, majoring in media studies and my minor was English. And then just so happened that that year was, um, or the year after my course. So when I'd finished that teaching course, was the year that WA high schools were introducing year sevens into high school. So it was like the, the best possible time to be doing a high school teaching course because there was going to be all these new jobs um, for high school teachers because people, you know, there was all these new students all of a sudden. So I was lucky enough to go straight into a, a teaching job 
um, in 2015. So I was a media teacher at Southern River, Southern River College um, out in Gozzi, as I'm sure you two are familiar with that suburb and all the Perth listeners, you know, I probably don't need to say any more in terms of what that school was like. But um, It's the most beautiful suburb in Western Australia. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly <laughs> what I was Second thinking. to Armadale. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, started as a full-time teacher, um, to be honest, felt pretty sort of out of my depth, like I was only, I would have only been like 22, I think. And I was like, you know, teaching up to year 11. Um, Those kids like aren't that much (laughs) younger than than me. (laughs) Um, And so it was sort of thrown in the deep end in that sense. And it found it really challenging. Um, It's also given me a lot of respect for, for teachers you know, now that I've done that, I reckon it's the hardest job that I've ever done so far and probably will be the hardest job I've ever done in my life. Um, and then sort of, yeah, so I got sort of through that year and the longer it went on that year, I was sort of thinking, man, I really, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. I would sort of just see a lot of high school teachers who've been doing it for 20 to 30 years um, and I just have so, I have a lot of respect for teachers who do that because you're doing such a hard job and such an important job. Um, but I sort of thought, for me, I still wanted to at least have a crack at the filmmaking thing um, because I guess I sort of thought in my mind I didn't want to, you know, stay in a teaching job for 10 years and then be like, man, I wonder what could have happened if I would given filmmaking like a decent crack like have I just wasted that opportunity that chance so towards the end of that year I sort of had in the back of my mind like all right after this year I'm gonna sort of give it filmmaking a real crack and um you know just put the the teaching on hold for a bit it's always something I can come back to but I was sort of you know essentially taking a bit of a risk you know getting leaving a full-time um, job which probably would have led to you know permanent employment um, to sort of take this chance on a career that's notoriously difficult to actually make into a full-time job um, so in I think October of 2015 that same year I was teaching that's when I got the uh, <laughs> this long backstory leading up to the, the start of no, it's good yeah no it's it's good to know it's good to have that context yeah. and just that story that you told just then, mate, it's great. And there's some of that stuff I didn't even know mm. personally. And it's, as it's all about the journey. And look, if you didn't take that risk, none of this would have happened. So, mate, it's awesome. Yeah. No, Please continue. Yeah, no, I think about that a lot. You know, like I think, um, yeah, like I guess to, to keep following on, like, yeah, it was October of that year and I sort of saw that this competition... At the same time as teaching, I was still shooting a bit of stuff. I was just shooting weddings and stuff on the weekend. I had a business with a uni friend of mine and um, got to the end of that year and I thought, all right, I'm, I saw this competition pop up through Sony and it was like a worldwide sort of competition where you make a short two-minute documentary um, and then there would be a finalist from each sort of region. So one from Australia, one from Europe, one from, you know, different sort of countries. And then there would also be a global prize of which you won a, would win a camera. 
um, which had just come out at the time. Um, so I thought... Was it the A7S Mark II? Nah, the, oh, the Mark II was not out then. This is way, this is way back. <laughs> oh, mate, I, I was testing my memory there, but close? You know, it might have... Actually, you know, you might be right. But that that that. <laughs> but, but, Don't tell him that. Don't tell him that. But that might have been like the finalist prize, and then the top prize was a Sony FS5 camera for all the camera nerds. Oh, okay. Out there. But um, I just remember you winning a camera. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, you, you skipped ahead in the story, but um. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I've already announced that you're award winning. Yeah, that's mate. true. But um, yeah. So saw this saw this competition, thought. I'm going to give this a crack. Like, what have I got to lose? Like, you make a film, um, put it out into the world. If it doesn't win, so what? You still made a film, right? So chose to... I thought um, my granddad had a story that fit the... That fitted nicely into the, the brief of the competition. So, um, you know, if he was a footballer back in the... 60s and 70s and he's still like a super competitive driven person today and back then was at the age of 72 which was the title of the film um so shot that entered it and um you know sort of had high hopes but really i was like you know this is a worldwide competition there's going to be some amazing stuff done by by other people like didn't really consider myself a chance and then i remember um the the winner was being announced via like this live webinar thing because it was something that was you know all countries around the world sort of thing so tuned in and um my wife bron was sitting next to me sort of watching and you know, it's just sort of like, I'm the sort of person who likes to really get my hopes down, you know, <laughs> when it comes to these sort of things. So you, you're, you're always going to walk away that way, sort of thinking, ah, oh, you know, I didn't expect to win it anyway. So I was really, you know, just... No expectations. No expectations at all. Just, But in the back of your mind, you can't help but like still really want to, you know, you hold out some hope still. So we're watching mm. this thing and then it was like announcing the finalists and then my film came up as a the finalist for Australia and I was like so stoked like I was like oh my god I think I was like I don't know if you guys I haven't heard you guys swearing on this podcast yet but I was so I don't know whether I'll go for it (laughs) mate just drop as many bombs as you want (laughs) but I think I was I pretty much just said like you get fucked like I couldn't believe that this was (laughs) happening like you know and it was so weird because it's not like you're at like an award ceremony so you can actually go like a bit crazy like I was just in my own house so I like got up out of my seat and I was like walking around like holy shit um because it was like amazing and then they announced from those finalists who like the main winner was and then I won that as well and it was like I just was couldn't believe it like it was a really amazing feeling um you know more swearing just walking around the house like it's crazy yeah like it's, it was actually one of the best feelings of my life probably but um yeah and that's what sort of from then on sort of gave me that kick up the ass and <laughs> bit of extra motivation to sort of you know really go for that that dream and sort of want to to pursue that career properly so yeah that that was the starting point i guess yeah definitely and i watched uh, 72 the other night 
with my girlfriend and I just, yeah, it was really moving and really powerful, some really powerful key messages. Um, as Vams touched on before, the, the hard work, the positive attitude. I just want to ask you quickly, mm-hmm. the doco goes for two minutes. However, I know it didn't take you two minutes to film. How much time and how much effort do you go to to produce and make and edit and film such such a great mm. documentary? Yeah, that was... Um... It was part of the competition brief that it had to be no longer than two minutes. That's why it's two minutes long. But, um, yeah, it was sort of filmed over uh, probably a couple of days, Um, a few different locations that I sought out. I always sort of start my process with that sort of thing by doing an interview first. Um, So I went around to my granddad's place and, you know, said, can I interview him for a while? And um, he's actually someone who's very media trained having been sort of in the spotlight back in his heyday and he's actually quite difficult to interview in a sense that it's hard to really like I wanted to interview him and get him to talk to me like he just talks to me like off the record like when we're just having a conversation but as soon as you sort of put the recorder there and you say we're recording an interview like his tone sort of changes a bit and goes into this like media mode. And I was like, no, I don't want it. I don't want that sort of thing. So I had to sort of, you know, I didn't, I deliberately didn't shoot the interview on camera because I knew the camera would sort of, was a trigger for him to go into that media mode. So I just sort of mic'd him up and tried to have this really like casual chat and just really dig into what makes him tick. And it ended up, yeah, having, getting some really good grabs from that interview, which I don't think I would have gotten if he was in this, you know, straight talking. You know, like when you, whenever you see footy players on the news and they're doing this press conference and they always give these like shit grabs, like, you know, the, the cliche is like, oh yeah, we're just taking Which it one week at a time. Um, Back to the drawing board. Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's not what you want when you're doing like a documentary. You want to really get to know the person Um, so yeah that was how I sort of got that interview and then after that just sort of arranged to shoot some different shots which I thought would fit nicely over the top yeah definitely and again amazing stuff it leads me to um, Vams mentioned all these awards you've won we'll skip ahead a little bit and in 2017 you released Lenny the Lion which is again another amazing and very very powerful documentary Uh, shows some very open and vulnerable storytelling yeah and so just to go into that a bit further for everyone listening out there it follows a gentleman by the name of josh catalano and his wife and documenting uh the story behind them having their premature baby and it's really moving stuff and honestly mate, i almost cried while i watched it. it was just it was just so powerful so i guess i was just curious and they're opening up so much and I I guess you touched on it a bit when through the techniques about you said interviewing your granddad how do you go about developing a relationship with who you film because obviously they're not just going to open up to anyone just like that yeah it's um I think with with Lenny and the lot with Lenny the lion in particular um I was lucky in the sense that Josh Catalano is um a really good speaker, a really open person. He's what you would call great talent. 
like in the in videos speak and that he's just really good on camera um you know just like yourself mate no no not at all but um <laughs> must be a josh thing. No. <laughs> yeah, jc well, well you know for, for those listeners out there um who are old enough to remember master chef season one josh catalano was a contestant on that and bit of a bit of a perth legend i would say um, so, and I, and I'm lucky enough to, to know the Catalano family through my own family. So that was where the connection started. And that's where I sort of got a hold of his story. Cause I think I was fr- friends with him on Facebook or something and just sort of saw that he was posting a bit about this journey that he was going through. And, um, yet lucky in the sense that I already had a way in, like it wasn't a completely cold sort of message from this outsider. And I think that made a big difference in terms of getting him over the line and wanting to do something like this. So, yeah, re- reached out to him and it just, you know, if you find the right person to do this sort of thing, that, yeah, that just makes a huge difference down the line. You, they're getting someone who's going to be open with you and, and talk, really be willing to go deep into these really emotional sort of um, feelings that that Josh was was going to in the in this interview um so I think like yes you want to be making them feel comfortable in the in the interview setting and stuff like that there's sort of techniques you can go to with that but I think for Lenny the Lion it was a lot down to just Josh's personality in the end that really helped me out yeah no cool insights and do you think from being on the other side of the camera and seeing other people being so open and honest and vulnerable do you think that's translated to your personal life has that have has that experience helped you be more of an open and honest person as well Mm, that's a good question and i've never i've never sort of thought of that before um i'm not sure i think a lot of the time filmmakers can be very like we get really focused on our work and sometimes that actually leads to the opposite sort of thing where you get so drawn into what you're working on that you actually forget a bit about yourself and your relationships with other people. Um, Mm -hmm. I know sometimes I have to check myself a bit when I've been, you know, working on a documentary project and you're really diving deep into it and you're working on it every day sort of thing. Um, It's actually can be not a healthy thing to do sometimes you know like with any work you you like it's just not healthy to be thinking about something like 24 7 working on it every day like you need that break to connect with other people um so yeah i think it's something that i haven't that i've probably haven't struggled with but i've definitely experienced a bit um, but yeah, so it's probably actually a bit of the opposite to what you, you asked instead of it turns you the other way, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. And I guess, mate, that's a perfect segue for me. Thanks for doing my job, <laughs> that's right. but going into your next documentary, uh, the Collingwood inside out, mm. mate, you're really capturing raw and honest moments there. So I guess kind of le- it kind of leads on and one such instance and mate, I, I'm not sure which sort of scenes that you filmed, but 
some scenes they were very powerful and you know very emotional was there ever a time that and it just doesn't have to be for this specific doco but was there ever a time where you just wanted to put down the camera because it just the emotions of the situation became too overwhelming um yeah that's a i think i'm i consider myself very privileged to be in the position where i get to do the sort of work that lets me be in these scenarios where other people are experiencing such highs or on the other end of the spectrum such low points as well um because that's not something that everyone gets to sort of see i guess so uh, there is always when i'm shooting something a bit of a barrier in terms of when i'm shooting i'm always really focused on getting what i need for the film in the best way that i can so that sort of in my mind creates a bit of a barrier from the emotion that's unfolding i guess because you're, you're sort okay. of a little bit removed because you're so focused on like, you know, if someone's breaks down in a room, like at, in the Collingwood from the inside out, you know, after the prelim final win, Brody Grundy breaks down and yeah. starts crying in the rooms. And, you know, in that moment as a filmmaker, I'm going, all right, I need to be on this. I need to capture this because it's a really important part of the story. So that sort of removes you a bit from the emotion of what's unfolding in front of you. That said, there's still things that um, I've shot that have that are really um, quite difficult to be in the room shooting, like in the Collingwood film. Um, at the end, one of the characters, Jared Blair, um, gets yep. gets told that he's no longer required on the list, delisted from the team essentially. Um, and I was had the amazing privilege of being allowed into that room whilst that's happening in real time um, which is just amazing by Jared Blair and the club to you know trust me enough to let me into that scenario and I thank them a lot for that but that's a scenario where I was shooting this just feeling so nervous and a lot of the times you feel like like it's just it's really hard to be there in that moment because you so I sort of think if I was in Jared's position would I want to be filmed and I'm not sure if I would answer yes to that you know so like how agree, so how yeah. can I if I reflect back on myself how can I justify myself being there and it really just sort of ha- comes down to trusting in that relationship with your subject that if they if they are happy with it like if Jared had said no I don't want you in there that's it. I wouldn't have pushed it. Like it's up to him. Yeah. So if he said, you know, he said to me weeks beforehand that he would be comfortable with me being in that room for that. Um, so yeah, again, I just take my hat off to him for, for letting me in there. Yeah. You talk about that Jared Blair situation that really stuck out for me in terms of, yeah, that, ah, yeah. Open and vulnerability. There's another uh, scene in that documentary and it's the, post-2018 grand final. Mm. Um, So obviously for people who don't know, the West Coast Eagles played Collingwood and the Eagles won in the last quarter. I think Dom Sheed kicked the goal from an impossible angle and you follow, you're in the change rooms after the siren and there's a scene where 
understandably, Nathan Buckley, who's a Collingwood coach, is quite deflated. And I think throughout the documentary, there's not too much swearing, but in that scene, he's just, you know, he talks about how how he's proud of his players, but he's very upset and visibly, yeah, you can see that. How does how did that feel? And also, were you scared, you know, that Nathan Buckley was going to give you a spray and be like, mate, stop filming me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. Um, I think, um, yeah, filming that was, was significant and I knew it was significant at the time that I was shooting because I'd, at that point, that was at the end of the season and I'd been, you know, I'd, I'd worked at this club for a couple years prior um, and then in that year I was freelancing but doing this shooting this documentary on the club and in all my time I'd never seen Nathan Buckley that raw you know in terms of the emotion that he was showing so that immediately seeing this guy who you know to just be like solid as a rock like the whole time that you've known him and then to see him like break down essentially and really um, in a very emotional state, immediately just sticks out as like, wow, this is a really significant moment. And immediately I sort of think, you know, along with thinking, <laughs> this is really important that I capture this for the story because it's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to tell a story of his transformation as a, as a character as well. So it's a really important part of that. But um, yeah, I think it was, again, Afterwards, you just I just think, like, how privileged am I to be in that situation where I got to be in the room shooting that? Um, and I think, you know, the reason, you know, you, you asked about, um, you know, being nervous about copying it from Bucks about being in the room. And I think, <laughs> I think um, that's the result of being with them and being in that room for a lot of games that season leading up to that that builds, builds that trust to the point where they probably didn't notice me in the room on that day because it was just a normal thing. That's a big part of when you're shooting documentaries, you want to build up that trust with your subjects so it just becomes normal. They become comfortable and it gets closer to reality that you get to be shooting. So um, thankfully, um, I didn't copper spray after that. I think everyone was a bit too emotional to be dishing out sprays after that anyway, but um, yeah. Oh, that's good to hear. Glad that you're, you're in one piece and so is your camera. Um, Nathan and I speak a lot about well-being and the topic of mental health and looking after ourselves is something that, you know, is very prevalent on this podcast and something that's really passionate. Uh, well, both of us are passionate about. And in this documentary, you follow a certain player, Adam Trelaw, uh, one of the players, he's quite open about his mental health struggles. Um, and I think in one of the scenes you're interviewing uh, him or you're, the camera's on him talking to the, his psychologist. Uh, and it's very, again, very open, very vulnerable. Do you feel in professional sports and more so AFL, there's more stories like this well there's a lot of there are more stories like that out there uh yeah in terms of i think um especially at the moment it's something that um i think when you think about the history of the game um the way that mental health is spoken about and treated nowadays is probably one of the the biggest um 
shifts in the sport since sort of, you know, 20, 30 years ago to now. Um, that sort of awareness of mental health has probably changed the most in that, in that period of time. Um, I think, you know, we traditionally think of footy clubs as being these hyper-masculine environments where you don't want to be considered soft. Um, you know, there's like this blokey attitude all the time and, you know, people speaking up about their mental health would have... It's like, like people didn't actually feel comfortable enough to even raise it at all. So people just bottled this stuff up in the past, you know. I remember speaking to my granddad about this who he played in the in the 60s and 70s and he said if someone was going to see the psych back then they would be considered soft like that's the like blunt reality of it of the way people thought of mental health back then which is really sad and it's probably i just cannot think of the amount of pain and suffering that would have actually caused back then but um so it's definitely improved a lot now and I think we sort of get to see that in Adam's story in that he's a person who um, is suffering from anxiety and I hate to think that if he was a player 20 years ago what things how things could have ended up for him you know because I I seriously in you know in this story that we're telling in 2018 Adam speaks up you know, it takes a while for him to speak up about what he's going through, but he eventually, you know, speaks to his partner, Kim, his partner and, and Adam, you know, then decide, you know, they're going to let the club know. Nick Maxwell at the club, who's a great person, and especially in dealing with this sort of thing, he recommends Adam to see a psych, and then they go and see Jackie Lauder, who does a lot of work with the Melbourne Storm, and also a lot of She's very experienced in sports psychology. Um, goes to see her and starts putting in place some techniques to sort of allow himself to not overcome because it's always going to, I think, be there, but sort of just manage what he was going through. Um, and, and, you know, the result of that is he plays in the, the grand final that year. He's able to re- return to play and even, you know, now he's still playing AFL footy and probably still managing those issues. But because he was, because he felt comfortable enough to speak up about it and because the club supported him and his teammates supported him, he is able to move through that. Whereas in the past, I, the, 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 the thinking and the facilities and the support wasn't there. So it's changed, yeah, so much. Yeah, no, definitely, mate. And I think not just in your in your Collingwood doco, but all your documentaries that you've produced, they've all got just really powerful messages. I think there's something in it for everyone. There is something that you can resonate with and that's something that I really like is that you're sitting there and you're watching it, but sometimes you're just, like, you're just taken aback, I guess. You're like, wow, this is what people go through on a daily basis it's not uncommon and as you said from 20 or 30 40 years ago till now it's great that people have a platform to speak about things that they're dealing with and they can identify what they're going through and deal with it that way so it's really awesome so i guess we've talked about the documentaries that you film so 
What's next for Josh Cable? Do you see yourself going into film and TV and going, I guess, to put it a more fictional route or do you prefer the more real life stories? Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think a lot of people sort of get into the filmmaking because they want to be like a Hollywood director, you know, like I sort of can remember going to the movies as a really young kid and just being like, I want to make that one day. So that's always like the drive, but I think the reality of that actually happening, like the odds are very slim of me being a a Hollywood director or anyone for that matter. So I've always sort of been content with, I think I, I used to, I think I set a goal for myself a few years ago of like, just being like, all right, I'll be happy if like I can make something that gets on TV. You know, because like I, I love, I love TV, and I love anything from your Game of Thrones to your MasterChef. You know, so like I was, I'm actually at a point where I would have been like proud of like I can actually make something that goes on TV, and now I've actually been lucky enough to, I guess, achieve that with my latest Collingwood doco. Um, so now I'm sort of thinking, I guess, what's yeah, what's next in terms of setting goals, but. Yeah, I think it's the main goal at the moment is just to continue to to make more things. Um, it's hard once you start making documentaries to then get out of documentary um, because, you know, if you want to get hired as a, um, a filmmaker directing fictional work, then you have to have made that previously. So I'd sort of had to, uh, if I wanted to make that switch, I'd sort of had to go back a bit in order to go forwards, but... I think, um, you know, I love documentaries. I love telling real real stories and I'd, I'd be perfectly happy continuing to be able to do that. Yeah, you've um, you filmed lots of, you know, really important and amazing people and a lot of the themes in your documentaries have been positive attitude, no limit, self-belief. My um, co-host here, he definitely exudes all those when he thinks of um, his acting career. Just to, and you've known him since year four, so I just want to put it out there on the record. Do you reckon Nathan Varmer would make it in Hollywood as the brown Chris Hemsworth or just make it in Hollywood in general? <laughs> well, well, you know, I'll say this. I wish, that, I wish that people could see, you know, the fashion that I'm seeing right now through this <laughs> Zoom call. And, you know, since I've known Nathan, he's never had his hair grown out this long either. Um, so, you know what? I'm, I'm liking the look at the moment. Um, you know, whether he can... Got a bit of potential. Whether he can reach the heights that you've set out there, Marv, I'm not sure, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to shoot him down, so I'm going to say go for it. <laughs> Yeah. Do you um do you have any contacts on either neighbours or home and away? Maybe we can get him a guest appearance. That's where Hemsworth started. We can get him a guest appearance on that. Look, never never say never. All right, just if that's what you want to do, Nate. You, and and you know what? I wouldn't put that past you because as we've already heard previously on this podcast, Nate is a person that if he wants to do something, he just goes out and does it, which I respect. You know, the same as for the both of you with doing this podcast, you know, you could have easily have been something that you just spoke about wanting to do and just never got around to doing it, but you're doing it. So like, that's huge. So congrats on that. So 
in that sense, I wouldn't put anything past Nate if he, if he wanted to go out and give it a shot. I'm sure he will. And maybe I should just have the same goal as you, Josh. Start with TV first and work from there. <laughs> That's right. Set little, set little goals at a time. All right, don't... It's all about the baby steps. Yeah, so, you know, if you're saying straight off the bat, I want to be the next Hemsworth, maybe let's just pull it back a bit. I guess a bit of a question as well for anyone who's interested in filmmaking or anything along that, those lines, what's kind of your message to them to start with? Because it, as you just said, it's a very um, competitive and very everyone yeah watches a movie when they're a kid and wants to give it a go. So what would your message be as someone who's so successful and highly acclaimed? No, I wouldn't. Multi-award winning. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about... If, I don't know about successful. It's success is a funny word. Whether you know, what do you call successful? Success, how do you measure success? Um, I think it's always you want to just be on the pathway moving forwards. I think there's never really an endpoint to that. But um, I think in terms of advice, um, and this probably applies to anything that you, you're doing. It's sort of one of my sort of philosophies, I guess, is that um, you know in filmmaking. People always say that you need a lot of luck and you need things to go your way a bit, um, which is true, but I'm a big believer in sort of making your own luck in a sense, you know, like you could have said, you could say that, and I, and I was very lucky. First of all, I'm a very, you know, I'm a privileged person. I grew up in a good family. Um, I had a very privileged and great upbringing so I'm already lucky right and then you know I, I wanted to you know make a this with my one of my first films 72 I was really lucky to win that competition but I wouldn't have won it if I didn't make the film in the first place and enter the competition you know what I mean so it's like my advice would be to sort of if you want to do something you just do it and the luck will sort of come your way if that makes sense so i'm always yeah, someone who you know because i guess going back to the teaching thing i could have just stayed as a teacher and not taken that chance um but i sort of decided to put myself out there take the risk have a go and then luck has come my way and sort of helped me along that path. But it doesn't, you don't get that luck without putting in the work and putting yourself out there and creating things. And I think one of the biggest things and best things you can do as a filmmaker is to just create work. If you wanna be, if you wanna make films then make a film. Like I made a two minute doc about my granddad like admittedly that that is actually not that much set up work i just went round to his house and interviewed him like it's i think like going back to you guys as well you could have you could have spoken for ages about wanting to do a podcast and then just been like oh no nah, like it's just too hard sort of thing but like you've you've just done it you know like you just you decided you're going to take the punt and you're just going to do it and i think that's the best thing that you can do yeah, definitely. And I guess you you sort of you sort of touched on creating luck and things like that, but mate, can I just say you're a very hard working and ambitious person and 
you got your break by winning those awards with 72, but it's not like you just stop there. You use that as a way to keep going. So, you know, I, I definitely, I tip my beanie off to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. that. You use that opportunity. You didn't just sit on your laurels and were like, oh, great, I won an award now. I'm stopping here. No, you didn't do that. You kept going and you reached greater heights and, mate, you moved into state as well. So I think if there's any young guys or girls out there, mate, it's a great story. And, yeah, as you said, just go out there, put yourself out there, create what you want to create because you're passionate about it. It's the reason why you create in the first place and see where that takes you. So I guess, Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure seeing your career flourish and I honestly wish you all the best. I think you're going to go far. I personally think this is only just the beginning, the feeling, and I'm not just saying this because I'm your mate, but the feeling that I get when I watch your documentaries is, is just such, it's, it's a different feeling. And I'm sure I'm not just the only person who gets those feelings when they, when they watch what you produce. So all I can say, mate, is keep doing you, keep producing great content and talking about great content, Josh, where can people find you? Um, uh, you can find me on Insta, I guess. I don't even know what my handle is, so this is a really bad plug. Maybe <laughs> I think it's <laughs> Josh Cable 28. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, you, you guys give me a little tag in the, the podcast share. <laughs> we, definitely, oh, mate, we definitely will be we tagging you 10 times don't worry about that and <laughs> another trait we haven't really mentioned about of yours josh is extremely humble doesn't even know his own instagram handle <laughs> that's how humble he is <laughs> but you are and thank you very much for appearing it's yeah i don't i yeah wasn't so aware of all this amazing work you've done and it's just uh, uh, incredible incredible stuff and a real privilege to have you on the podcast and learn about your story and your journey and it's absolutely amazing if i had a beanie on it as well i'd tip it off to you but <laughs> um yeah thank you again josh and mate just before we go don't want to forget plug your website because that's where we can find a lot of your work and we've spoken about it today so what's your website where can we find your docos yeah well that that's a simple one that's just um joshcable.com.au I think that's a, just a bit of a portfolio where you can have a look at some stuff. Um, I th I believe the Collingwood doc may still be on iView. I should have checked this before I came on. This is bad. But um, yeah, can... so mate, yeah, go on. It's it's not on iView. Oh, I paid four ninety nine to rent it on YouTube. Oh, thanks. Three ninety nine for standard definition. Four ninety nine for HD. So <laughs> I hope you get some royalties from that, mate. Thanks for forking out, mate. That's I appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. So, mate, thanks for coming on. I look forward to releasing this episode and keep doing you and we'll have you on again soon, mate. Thank you. No, thanks, guys. I appreciate it.